Welcome to Chowder and Grits. Today is Wednesday, June 12th, and we have a great show for you. We've actually got Cam Underwood on from the State of the U blog, SB Nation. We are previewing Miami, kind of revisiting the Miami-Virginia Tech rivalry over the last, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, however long it's been going on. And, uh, you know, talking about all things Miami football, Virginia Tech football. Good interview, lengthy. Be sure to listen. Listen over the course of a couple of days. You will not regret it. Uh, I'm Justin Cochiola alongside Tim Hurth. Tim, what is happening? So, a lot's happening. Um, You know, I'm not really one for big announcements, but I do this to lead into my story. Uh, The wife and I are pregnant uh, with another child. Um, yeah, so claps all around, all that fun stuff. Today was our first appointment at the, uh, the baby doc. Um, so I don't know how they did this with you, Justin, when you went through this not too long ago. Um, but at the old hospital that we used to go to, I was able to go back with Kristen, um, kind of for the whole thing, hang out kind of in my own private room. Well, in this one, during the initial workup, they send the dad which is me in this case, to sit in a waiting room in the back. That's kind of like a catch-all for stuff that's happening. So this is a gynecologist, not just a baby doc. So there's, there's a whole bunch of people in and out. Turns out there's a lot of urine. I start noticing there's a lot of pee <laughs> being placed about four feet in front of me. Then the, the way this waiting area is structured is it's just four kind of waiting chairs. You know, nothing extravagant. Um, but we're just really close to the urine in a way that I don't think was thought out when they started putting the urine on the counter that was in front of me. So it's just about the third girl that's come by. It's, we're about 10 minutes in. Um, and you know, the tension is thick. I don't know if you've ever been sitting next to a woman with a cup of her urine three feet in front of you on a countertop that you don't know. Um, but it's tense. So, you know, I'm waiting to make a joke. That's how I deal with tense situations. The first or second girl doesn't talk to me. The third one I know. I make eye contact with her when she's coming up with her pee. Um, <laughs> she places her pee on the counter in front of me. Um, and so luckily, you know, I wasn't going to just jump in. You know, I, I, I have class. I have tact. So I waited until I was spoken to in this case. And she laughed nervously and said, you know, I, I'm sorry that you have to sit there and look at my pee. And I turned over to her, and without thinking about saying anything, I said, oh, that's okay. Um, It's good to put a face with some urine sometimes. Dead silence. Wow, that was was an awful I was, and I'm still uncomfortable thinking of it. I thought it was hilarious, I think, after I said it. But it was one of those that was like, I really wish I hadn't rolled the dice with that comment. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a bad Because there's a lot of connotation with putting a face to some urine and, you know, I truly it regret really it. really doesn't make any sense to, yeah. Put a face to a name? It made sense to me when I said it, Justin. Looking back on it, obviously, if we're going to sit there and analyze, take out the chalk and the telestrator and, you know, draw it out. Was it a good joke? No. Should I have not said it? Absolutely. Should have, said, should have kept it to myself, but it was so tense. Anywho, that's my story for the that's day. In- that's interesting. It, that is kind of an awkward setup where you're just, yeah, it's, you know, fascinating. Revolving counter of strange pee. Uh, so, yeah, I don't have any interesting urine stories, Tim, but uh, 
You know, I wanted to chat about the basketball game last night, NBA Finals. Sure. Um, I mean, what a perfect segue. You know, we go from urine to the NBA Finals. I think this is perfect. The the reason I wanted to chat about it, because I've been thinking about this, this was this was the talk of the day, right? Where the Toronto fans were cheering the Kevin Durant. Oh yeah, it's still going on. Um, you know, at first I was like, you know, are people overreacting? Like, I have a feeling like other fan bases would do this, and then I started thinking about it, and I thought about it, and I thought about it, and obviously excluding like a fan base like Boston or Philadelphia, they can't say anything about what happened last night, but. No. I'm like, you know what? I don't think this has ever happened. Ha- when was have you ever heard of a fan base cheering an injury? No, and that was weird. You could almost see the Toronto players trying to cut it out. When they it definitely was live. did. I didn't even notice it at first because, like, I was just so caught up in like what happened. But then I saw like the reaction of all the players, and then the commentators chimed in, and then I was just like, "Aren't we in Canada?" Yeah, the friendly country. Yeah, no, it was just fascinating. I just wanted to bring that up. Because, like, I, at first I was like, you know, I think people are overreacting a little bit. And then I sat there and started thinking, I'm like, God, you know, I don't I don't think I've ever heard anybody cheer for I've an never heard it. And, you know, it's such a shame because it really is a serious injury. Um, you know, an Achilles yeah, yeah, for a, a basketball player, it's about as bad as it gets. But if you look in this, I don't know if I've never noticed an Achilles injury in slow motion before. Um, but my Twitter curiosity got the best of me today, and they had a slow-motion close-up of the back of his calf. And, I mean, you can see the Achilles tendon oh, yeah. shoot up explodes. the back of his leg. Like, it's horrifying. And, you know, to think what he was doing by being on that court and, you know, the kind of the pressure he had to get back on it, to have him go down like that, it was, you know, it was rough. And I'm not a KD fan, but that was that was tough to see. But the cheering was weird. God, it was weird. Yeah, so if you're uh, listening for the first time and wondering what the hell we're talking about, we are Chowder and Grits. We are the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. Uh, Our Virginia Tech focus, but do talk all ACC schools and uh, have a pretty good time doing it. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts. is probably the best way to do so, Uh, but we're on Google Play Store, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. And then, of course, you can head over to chowderandgrits.com and uh, check that out, learn a little bit about the show, how we got started, and uh, obviously follow us on Twitter and uh, like us on Facebook. So, uh, Tim, we had a great conversation with Cam Underwood. We did. Um, like I mentioned in the opening, SB Nation editor of the State of the U blog. Uh, so uh, be sure to check it out. Stay through the entire time. You will really enjoy the end, and uh, we'll catch you on the backside. Okay, so we welcome on Cam Underwood, the managing editor of the SB Nation blog, State of the U. If you're a Miami fan, be sure to check it out. If you're not, I'd still go check it out. A lot of great content being generated right now around the U's program. An exciting time. We'll hit on that in a second. But uh, first, Cam, welcome to the show. Guys, thanks for having me. It's always fun to hop on podcasts and things like that. And, you know, I get to trash talk against Virginia Tech for an hour, hour and a half. So this is going to be fun for me. Yeah. Hey, we'll take it. Yeah. So unfortunately, we don't have a lot of good uh, recent history against the old cane. So it's it's going to be tough to kind of fight back a yeah. little bit. But, My favorite kind of conversations. Yeah. Yeah. It's what it is. <laughs> So, uh, Cam, I'm not going to lie, I did a little bit of uh, internet stalking and uh, came across an article you wrote uh, a couple years ago, I think, 
on State of the U, just talking about why you became a Hurricane. So, oh yeah, uh, looks like you're from Detroit, and uh, yep. Miami was kind of your fallback school. Um, mm-hmm. and true story. I think you grew up a Michigan fan. Also true. But uh, you know, you mentioned in that story, you really started, you know, getting enthralled in the Miami football experience while you're on campus. But at that Florida State game, which I might add. Florida State was the defending national champion at the time. This is the year 2000, my freshman year, for those listening. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So you were there in the prime Miami day. So why don't you just uh, give us a little background on that? Yeah, no, all that is true. Um, So, I mean, it's still up on the website. If you look, we did a SB Nation-wide push uh, to embrace fandom in 2017. So everybody wrote their pieces across the network uh, why, why they were a fan of a given team. So of course mine was, you know, why I became a Miami Hurricane. And yeah, I'm from Detroit originally. Grew up, I have family members uh, who went to and rooted for the University of Michigan. I went to a bunch of those games growing up. Um, the Cordell Stewart Hail Mary, I was in Michigan Stadium for. Oh, like wow. I saw it live, in wow. person. That's yeah. awesome. You know, I mean, yeah and no you know what i mean like <laughs> right, right, <laughs> all yeah. of that i mean so yeah you know i grew up a big michigan fan and everything but i went to private school my entire life i went to cranbrook yes this is a private school the one from eight mile yes true that yeah. exact school <laughs> is my alma mater um but i wanted a private school feeling for college uh my number one school sight unseen to this day in my life i've never been to nashville but uh vanderbilt was my number one school uh just because you get to i i I have a 15-year career as a teacher, so I wanted to uh, start student teaching uh, right away, and then also I was a, or I'm a classically trained musician, so I've taught music for 15 years, and also wanted to be in the conservatory there at Vanderbilt. Long story short, didn't get the financial aid I needed, um, decided to go to Miami as my fallback school, which, you know, is a crazy statement, but very true, Uh, but it was the perfect place for me. Um, There's a story, uh, Santana Moss saved me from a butt kicking one time, uh, because I was (laughs) cutting between some football players on a bench on my way to uh, math class, because I was coming late from work. Um, and yeah, he, he called off two of the large, large offensive linemen from pummeling me into the cement there <laughs> so, uh, in front of the Memorial building. So why, why were they going to pummel you? I, I don't understand. I was going to okay. ask you about that. Oh, well, okay. So, so the story goes, there were two benches that were at a right angle with a gap between them. And those were the football player benches in front of the Memorial classroom building. Everybody knew that's where the football players hung out. You didn't go over. You didn't like if you were invited over to hang out with them. There was one thing, but you didn't just like cut through. It's like right. you know, ta- or it's like walking in front of an elder at a family gathering and not speaking. It's just a thing you don't do. <laughs> and since I was I was coming from the tutoring center where I worked, and my coworker was late getting to work, so I couldn't leave. But I had this math test to take, so I left like you know halfway into class, and I'm like sprinting across like a nerd bomber with my backpack like chugging along, <laughs> and my my classroom was on the third floor. And the second room in, but the stairs were like right on the other side of these benches. And the quickest, you know, way was to cut between. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to chance it, whatever. They're talking to these girls. They're not paying attention. Boom, boom, boom. And I, I go and I almost made it. And one of the linemen stood in front of me. You know, he's like, hey, bro, what you doing? I'm like, yo, man, like I, I saw you on Saturdays. Like, I mean, this, I mean, the two dudes who were in front of me. It was like something out of a movie. They're six, six, three fifty, both of them, you know? And I'm like, I just. Right. 
like, dude, I'm, I'm here on a, a, a academic and music scholarship. I'm just trying to go to class. I got a pad, you know, whatever. <laughs> and they're like, hey, man, you know, you disrespect us in front of the ladies. I'm like, oh, my God. Because, like, <laughs> I fought before, but, like, I'm not going to beat these guys. Yeah, and you're Sam not, right. Moss, not his us. senior year, literally was like, hey, hey, man, like, let my man go to the class. You know, he's doing his thing. And I was like, yo, Santana, I saw that, that punk return against McNeese State. That was awesome. Yo, he was like, hey. Cut all that talking. I already let you go. I said, cool. And I <laughs> ran by, and I went up the stairs. Honest and true story. Uh, and, you know, I ended up passing that class or that test uh, that day and everything. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was a great time, man. You know, we lost the second game of my freshman year at Washington, and we did not right. lose again until my senior year because that Fiesta Bowl thing didn't happen um, <laughs> in my world. But, no, we, I mean, we lost the sure. second game of my freshman year. And didn't lose again until Connor Barth, the seventh or eighth game of my senior year at North Carolina. Mm, like Connor Barth, it oh, was. I remember that. It was pretty, pretty. Uh, it was pretty dope. You know, it was a dominant time. I mean, we would just like go and throw parties. You know, all the away games. You know, we watch them in our friends' um, apartments on campus or things like that. You know, and just like every game at the Orange Bowl was a party. You know, I stayed to the end of the games, but I mean, people would like leave at halftime, you know, because you, you found a nice young lady or something. And you decided sure. to, you wanted to go enjoy the day in Miami because that's the thing we can do. But yeah, I mean, just seeing all those guys and, you know, just being in class with guys. I mean, Chris Myers, who was an offensive lineman and played in the league, he played for the Broncos for years. Uh, I had education classes with him. Najee Davenport. There's another story I cannot tell. Well, it's, it's a little bit long, but I had a contemporary moral issues class with him. Um, and let's just say that, uh, his attendance was infrequent. <laughs> um, uh, but, I mean, yeah, just, I mean, being Green in Bay class, Packer. like having friends with those guys, it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's awesome. You know, I, I remember the first time, I think it was like one of the first days I was on campus, and I lived very close to Lane Stadium. Um, and we've got the Merriman Athletic Center right there. And I was just mm. walking around trying to take it in, and uh, a few football players came out. And at that moment, you know, I was a kid. I was I was a big kid in high school. I didn't play football. Was not allowed. Uh, parents would not let me play. Same. These football players came out, and I was just stunned at the sheer <laughs> size of them and the size oh, yeah. of their arms and their bodies. And I was just like, "Holy crap! I will not be asked to play football here. That is bad." <laughs> But, oh, um, you know, I, I got I to gotta say my heart goes out for you. A 45-4 record uh, in your time as a student there. Um, yeah. You know, that, that must have been pretty tough. Uh, especially, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was really hard, you know, getting just up for every big game and then blowing everybody out. I mean, yeah. the closest games were, you know, against Florida State, which you mentioned, like that 2000 game, that legendary uh, wide right oh, yeah. three. Uh, 2002 wide left um, with them going for that win. Um, playing against you guys, we played you guys, uh, Virginia Tech, tight a couple times. And then 03 Florida, you know, um, that game where they had a huge lead against us. Um, and my buddy, Matt Carter, uh, he's the guy who took over the number 11 jersey after uh, Ken Dorsey left. Okay. Um, and he was the holder on extra points and field goals. And so he was in the um, special teams meeting. And there's actually two stories. So the one, every week he would come in and be like, oh, this thing is going to happen, this thing's going to happen. And he was like, yo, Devin Hester said all week, if we win the toss against Florida, take the ball, I'm going to take the open and kick off back. And I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, bravado, da 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 And, like, my buddy Matt was like, no, 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 no. He's going to score. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> and then he did that. That was pretty cool. Um, yeah. And he was uh, – so Matt is from Ohio, unfortunately. You know, I'm from Michigan and Ohio, you know, 
Hatfields and McCoys. But anyways, um, he was like a second-team All-State quarterback uh, before he decided to go into punting full-time. And so every week, my buddy Matt was like, yo, we got this special play. We got a special fake field goal. I'm going to get to throw the ball. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever, like da-da-da-da. And the one year, he was like, no, 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 no. Listen to me. Kellen Winslow is on this fake. And I'm like, oh, really now? Okay, you got my attention. <laughs> this is, this is 03. Soldier. Yeah, I'm a soldier. Yep. I'm a so well, I mean, he now just in, got convicted of some jail. bad things. Yes, yeah. exactly. But <laughs> this is before the 2003 Miami Virginia Tech game. Yep. And if you remember, you guys scored first. One. We come down and we're gonna go for a field goal, and I see Kellen Winslow come on the field. Now we're all in my buddy's apartment on campus, and I'm like, "Yo, wait, Matt wasn't lying for once. Like, oh my God, he's gonna throw it." So he rolls out. Everybody goes to Kellen. He stops on his half roll to the left and throws a beautiful 45-yard pass to Kevin Everett, who drops the ball. And we're all celebrating and everything. And my buddy Lewis at his apartment gets on the table, and he screams at everybody, he dropped the effing ball. And we're like, no, he, oh, my God, he did. And you guys ended up beating us 31-7. to Follow up to that. So now my buddy has told me two things that are true in the same year now. And... I was seeing a young lady who was in a school of music also. She was a jazz vocalist, and we were supposed to go on a date that next day because it was a Thursday night game, I think. Um, and she didn't show up. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? I find out later that not only did Kevin Everett drop that touchdown pass, but he rear-ended the girl I was seeing the next morning, and wow. she's a football fan. And so she's, like, looking around. She's like, oh, my – Kevin Everett, like, he just hit me. And she's he's like, oh, yeah. And she looks at him in the eye and goes – not a good couple of days for you, is it, buddy? <laughs> I mean, that's an honest and true story. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, all kinds of great times and things happened when I was at Miami. So, yeah, 45 and 4 in four years uh, was pretty decent. Yeah, I'd say, take that. I'd say that's pretty good. Um, you know, you mentioned the Virginia Tech games. Like, Virginia Tech was also very uh, competitive at the time, uh, really kind of dating back to 1995 in the Big East – Virginia Tech Miami had a lot of battles and that year you won the national title 2001 Virginia Tech Miami last game of the year well you know you only won by two points so took you down to the brink um and then obviously didn't beat Miami until your senior year in, in college 31-7 but yeah uh you know we were uh we were in school from 06 to 10 so okay. we had an elite level defense while we were in school but uh, Sean Glennon led offense the first couple of years until Tyrod Taylor finally took the helm, but uh, didn't exactly have the same track record as 45 and 4. Not to dwell well, on that, but. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, shoot, <laughs> we you can, guys went. We I mean, if you're there that long, I mean, that's 4 and 1 against Miami. Yeah. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, Miami. We had some so, success there. Miami. Yeah, that, uh, that, that's still pretty. Because, I mean, I have the right in front of me. Like, yeah, you guys lost your junior year, and that's it. Uh, down yeah. here, but yeah, that's uh, that's not bad. Oh my god, you guys were seniors for that goddamn Logan Thomas game. Oh, no, no, so actually, <laughs> no, that, that was that year was after, the year after. So we okay. graduated in 2010, so our senior oh, okay. football season year was 09, was 09, okay, which uh, I've got a good story about that later on, but um, yeah, that Logan Thomas game, unbelievable, but terrible, yeah, incredible, kind of to um just jump to that a little bit you know what what do you think has been the main issue for Miami since the glory days as I'll call them I mean just missing on so many levels missing on coaches 
assistant coaches, players, um, especially quarterback. Um, yeah, just not. I, I mean, not, I, I guess my question is, how does it happen? And I mean, it's not like Miami's the only program it hasn't happened mm-hmm. to. Because you got Texas, sure. for example. You've got right. USC. You know, there's prime examples around the country where it's like these teams were so high in the early 2000s mm-hmm. or through the 2000s, but then yeah. just all of a sudden tanked. Well, and, and the thing about it is it wasn't all of a sudden. It was a little bit by a little bit, but when you're flying in that rarefied air, like right. the margins are so thin, you know, so if you miss on, you know, you, you, you sustain a, a modicum of success with Brock uh, Berlin after Ken Dorsey. Oh, great quarterback. Loved him. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Brock. Once we once we started going shotgun spread and, like, playing to his strengths from his high school days at Shreveport Evangel Christian when he had, like, the national record for passing yards and touchdowns. Yeah. Sure. Then he was able to actually, you know, work with all the guys that we had, the Kellen Winslows, the Ryan Moores of the world, who was, like, you know, a redshirt freshman All-American, you know, like with great running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, offensive linemen who got drafted. All those things were able to work. And then you miss on Kyle Wright. Mm-hmm. And oh, man. then, man, you Kyle know, and Wright. The, yeah. Right. Oof. And Oof. it's, it's funny. That, one, of our, one of our contributors right now is looking back at all the five-star signees Miami has had in the last decade. And he talked about Kyle Wright in today's installment. And Kyle Wright was like, you know, the number one quarterback in all of America yep. when we right. recruited him. You know, and then he, you figure, oh, we got Ken Dorsey, who was an also-ran afterthought guy from California to come out here mm-hmm. and be legendary. Now, if we get the five-star kid and he's going to sit a year already planned a red shirt to put weight on his frame and he's already athletic as hell and, you know, can throw the ball a mile, now he's going to be the upgrade. He's going to be the progressionary step. He's going to take the thing from Kenny Kelly to Ken Dorsey to Brock Berlin to Kyle Wright. That's going to be your Taj Boyd, Deshaun Watson, uh, Trevor Lawrence progression. Sure. You think. Right. But then you miss. And then, okay, after that, Kirby Freeman and all these other guys who, like, are mixing in, that's where the cracks start coming. You know what I mean? Like, the guys who could stay for their senior year, but they're going to all get drafted. I mean, we had so many guys, you know, six of them in 2004 get drafted in the first round alone. I mean, that whole 2001 team was first-round draft picks. But you're not replacing them. You're replacing them with guys whose recruiting profiles fit, but they didn't fit. You know, if you look back at the at the U documentaries when, like, Alonzo Highsmith was talking about, hey, the, and Melvin Bratton, these are the guys that we needed to get. And even if you brought in a certain guy who had a certain recruit status and blah, 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 and we would told the coaches, he ain't got that dog in him. He's not about this. We don't need him. We need this other guy who might not be as highly heralded, but he's going to fit what we do. You stop doing that. You start reading press clippings. And just like Kyle Wright was a chip in the armor, there's so many other ones. And again, with all these different coaches and all these different schemes and um Things that just weren't really a fit. So, yeah, it wasn't a, a really quick kind of descent from greatness. But every year, there were a couple more details that weren't to the level that they needed to be. And all of a sudden, then, you're just so bereft of talent in certain spots, like quarterback, that you can't really trust. And then offensive linemen, you have one, but you need five to really play. And then, you know, okay, cool, I need these linebackers, but I don't have them. And then I'm taking cornerbacks because I'm going after the guy who's the All-American in high school, but I don't get him. Now I'm going to take a local kid 
who looks the part, if you just put a jersey on him, I'm going to buy that uniform, but he's not fast enough. He has uh, very bad and stiff hips, and he cannot play. He couldn't even re- he wasn't even the number one cornerback on his high school team in South Florida, but he's supposed to come to Miami and play from his freshman year on and be a contributor. That's not going to happen, and I'm thinking of specific names of guys, but I'm not going to do that to them by putting their name out there, but there's enough right. of those instances where that one guy missing and replacing him with a third-tier prospect happened, and then all of a sudden, the the level of talent wasn't what it needed to be. The coaches weren't able to develop those guys, which was a big problem. And all of a sudden, now you're a middle-of-the-pack team, and those glory days that you thought were going to be unending ended. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's uh, it's interesting because I, I'm always one who kind of looks at recruiting, and I'm like, I think it's important to recruit well, to have a highly rated class. But at the end of the day, if you're bringing in guys that don't fit your system – or maybe they just have, you know, some kind of personality traits that just don't fit in with the culture and the program. You know, it's just not going to work. And, you know, that's one of the things about Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is not an easy place to recruit. So, and, and what Frank Beamer did in the 90s, and then I always say Frank Beamer built the foundation, Michael Vick built the house, okay? Facts. He built the door for everybody to walk in there to make that program is what it is today, right? So Yeah, no doubt. But still, at the end of the day, we're not bringing in an Alabama-level recruiting class. We're not bringing in Clemson. We're not bringing in Georgia. We're not even bringing in, like, I don't know. What's what's a good example, Tim? Um, a middle-of-the-run, <laughs> like, SEC school for the most part, an Auburn. Yeah. To me, we should be yeah, out recruiting Auburn. Auburn. But we do bring in guys like Cam Chancellor, who was a two-star recruit coming out of high school. You know, had an offer to Hampton, had an offer to Virginia Tech. He chose Virginia Tech. Turns into a fifth-round draft pick in the NFL, probably a Hall of Fame career as a safety. Maybe, maybe not, borderline. But you just look at guys like that. You look at Dwayne Brown, tight end, turn left tackle, first-round pick in the NFL draft. Cody Grimm, preferred walk-on. You know, had a great career as a safety. You know, a little bit of a career in the NFL. But, you know, you just you hear stories of guys like that, and Mm -hmm. it's just the coaching job. It's about culture. It's about the fit. And – I felt like when Butch Davis left Miami, that was the beginning of the end, obviously. So for whatever reason, Butch Davis felt like the need to go to the pros. Even though Larry Coker won the national championship at Miami, it was kind of a Barry Switzer, Jimmy Johnson situation. Yep. You know, it was just, it wasn't the same. And you, no, just, yeah. you didn't see that elite level of talent coming in and at least performing on the field like you expected. Right. It for was, sure. It was a little bit of a of a of a knock there. Uh, but the, the Browns backed up the truck. You know, again, like my buddy was on that team, Matt Carter. I was walking with him to a class because he was an education major like I was. And you saw the um, the football student assistants sprinting all over campus. And Miami's campus is small, so you can get from end, edge to edge in 10 minutes. But uh, you see them sprinting across the green and everything, like to every football player, like, yo, you got a meeting right now. And they're like, wait, what? Because he just said yesterday or the day before he wasn't leaving, but everybody knew what time it was. Um, And then, yeah, they put the good shepherd grandpa, you know, who like everybody wanted to take over. And that let the team run the team. And if you look back at the 80s and 90s when Miami won championships, even though you had Howard Schnellenberger and Jimmy Johnson and Dennis Erickson uh, running, you know, the team per se, the players – 
were the ones who ran stuff. You know, you like Jerome Brown, God rest his soul, when he decided to get up at the Fiesta Bowl uh, when we lost to Penn State and should not have at all, but then he said, yo, we're going to walk out like whatever, you know, like we're soldiers in these fatigues, boom, done. He said that. He didn't consult with the coaches. So you figure, okay, cool. We're going to do the same kind of thing now. And that did work for that one season. It worked for the next season. But it wasn't sustainable, obviously. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, again, Larry Coker, he did get some recruits. And he got some really good recruits. But it was – they were paper thugs. They weren't street thugs. And, you know, if you know what I mean? Like, they had – this recruiting profile that said, oh, they should be the best guy ever. But then when they got on the field with these upperclassmen, with these dudes who have been in Miami building this program, they were not on the level. And Miami overlooked some other guys who could have, you know, filled in those roles. And then, yeah, you know, things just kind of snowballed in a bad way. Yeah. So not to elaborate on Miami's shortcomings, but, you know, they joined the ACC in 2004 with Virginia Tech. To be honest, I mean – when they did that and they put Miami in the Coastal, they thought they were setting up a Miami-Florida State ACC Bye. championship game every single sure. year. I mean, that was yep. the goal, every right? Year. And they didn't have the championship game in 04. That didn't exist until 05 once Boston College joined. But, you know, Miami's only got one Coastal title since joining in 04. And that one was solo title. I think we have one or two shared. But, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, it's not like the ACC the SEC. And, I mean, to me, like, you know, Virginia Tech had a hot start, five Coastal Division titles in seven years, um, you know, had some some success. They weren't able to really capitalize it past an Orange Bowl. But success nonetheless. They were the premier team in the ACC for a while. But now Miami and Virginia Tech, they're really kind of in the same spot as programs. They've got I, – I don't know if Virginia Tech's got an unproven head coach – they do probably at the power five level, I guess you could say. But why do you think Manny Diaz is the guy that will take you to the promised land or do you? But first, I want you to touch on what happened with the whole Mark Rick situation, because that just kind of fell out of the sky, out of nowhere. The thing. Yeah. Wow, those are some really good questions. OK, let's start with Mark Rick. The thing with Mark Rick was. Changes needed to be made and. If he was unwilling to do them, then he had to go. And I know that the athletic director, Blake James, would not have fired him or apparently made an ultimatum. But, I mean, like, Mark Richt is smart. You know what I mean? Like, he has a, a brain in his head that works, and he sees what's wrong. It's obviously the quarterback position of, about which he's supposed to be a guru. Whoa, Nikosi Perry? You're not a fan? I'm a big <laughs> – no, 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 no. I'm a huge fan of Nikosi Perry. But you're, you're – you're coaching out the things that he did well. Like, he broke Dante Culpepper's records at Ocala Vanguard High School. But then you bring him in, and then you're blatantly telling him, don't run, don't do this, look this way, look that way. You tried to when, make a premier runner a pocket-only passer. Not, no, not even, not even that, but you just tried to, you tried to constrain him too much. You know, it would have been like not letting, I mean, to a lesser extent. I get that it's a lesser extent. But that would have been like Frank Beamer saying, Michael Vick, don't run. You know what I mean? Like, you're taking away a native state of his being. And, like, the improvisational aspect of Nikosi Perry's game was huge. Where you're saying, no, sure. there is no improv improvisation. You have to play by the numbers, and you have to go in this order. And he's like, yeah, but if I look here and I know this, then I can throw the ball there, coach. He says, no, you can't. That's not how we do it in our system. 
You know what I mean? So that was a big thing. But then again, on top of that, you hire your son as quarterback's coach who has no experience for the position at 25 years old to be the quarterback coach at Miami. And the only experience he has is playing quarterback and, like, learning under you and, like, you're his dad. But, like, you didn't even really coach him because you're coaching Georgia when he was coming up. You know what I mean? So there's that. And then you bring in Thomas Brown as the offensive coordinator. Love Thomas Brown. Met him a couple times. Really great, bright guy. But the offensive coordinator in name only so you can pay him more then another team can pay him to be the running backs coach. And you talk about, okay, he's going to do installs and everything, but he's installing what you want to do. He's not sequencing anything. He's not calling any plays. And I know people are saying, oh, well, Thomas Brown could have given suggestions. You really think that Mark Richt is going to take suggestions from somebody who's never called plays because nobody on the, on the staff had called plays, so he's not going to listen to anybody because nobody has experience in that? No. So what were the changes that needed to be made? Uh, Offensive coordinator needed to be hired. And that offensive coordinator was probably going to be quarterback's coach. So you know what that means? you got to fire your son. Or get him promoted out because you've been coaching for 30, 35 years. Call a friend and say, hey, John needs a job. He needs a job now. Yeah. Do that. But you're not willing to do that. Florida uh-huh. Atlantic. It's like Southern Miss, Florida Atlantic goes somewhere where he can like actually be Anywhere. calling plays. I get it. Yeah. Exactly. He could he could have been he could have been a special assistant with the Buffalo Bills because Dan Morgan works there and Ed Reed was a special assistant in the secondary before. He could have gone where you know anywhere. You know what I mean? Like you could have gotten him a nice six-figure paying job. You could have done that. But he didn't and he didn't want to do that. He didn't then he was going to have to probably fire Thomas Brown because you're going to give up the offensive coordinator title. You know what I mean? Now you got to talk to Ron Dugans because he's passing game coordinator, again, in title only, so that you can pay him more money. And on top of all of that, Mark Richt himself, who came to Miami because Georgia had stripped him of play-calling power, and we gave it to him implicitly. So now he has to take that away from himself to give to this offensive coordinator who, you know, that are like all these kind of things. So the, the energy was not there to do those things. And that's where I think that things really fell apart. I'm not going to – I mean, everybody knows that's what needed to be done. I get from all accounts that nobody told him explicitly, this is what you have to do. But you see the program. You see how things are failing. You know what needs to be fixed. And if he didn't have the energy and effort to – or the energy to want to put in the effort to do those things, then it was right for him to step aside. And he did that one Sunday morning when I was at brunch for my friend's birthday, and my phone just was going – absolutely bonkers and i'm like okay like i'm in between mimosas 13 and 17 like what's going on (laughs) yeah Um, we uh we had actually recorded a podcast earlier that day and i get a text from tim he's like mark mark rick just resigned but you know it was it was odd to (laughs) me because i liked the hire from the beginning you know he was Mm -hmm. a guy who he just kind of timed out at georgia you know wasn't getting it done Georgia's a program where you got to win uh, and you got to be competing for a national championship. And he had kind of stopped doing that there. So he comes into Miami. All he's got to do is build Miami into a contender in the coastal. Nobody was expecting him to go in and beat Clemson right away. But then you had the 20, what was it? What was last year? 18, 17 season yep. where mm-hmm. they were undefeated going in November, beat the hell out of the Hokies. That was Oof. such a just – Oh God! One of the, yeah, one, one of the hurt. worst moments I've ever had from a Virginia Tech Miami <laughs> robbery standpoint, and the the Sheldrick Redwine chalkboard or dry erase board at the end of the game. Like I wanted to go through the screen and just, <laughs> just yeah, that lose, was lose hell. 
But that was a moment, you know. Oh, that it, it was really that was. was a moment. Yeah, yeah, that was a moment for sure. But <laughs> you know, you go from that to the following year, and it's just in complete disarray. Nikosi Perry, you know, can't find his way out of a paper bag from a passing standpoint. He looks awful. The offense can't do anything. The defense was still pretty solid. But at the end of the day, it's like you're in the ACC Coastal and nobody wants to win it, and you're yep. still at 7-6. and six. Yeah, right. and that, that, was a, that was a big problem. You know, like the, the problems really started in 2017, and, and our readers at State of the U were really non-pleased with me because I was pointing out the issues with Malik Rogier from the beginning. And saying that he's not good enough. He's not Miami caliber. You know, he was a two-sport football, baseball guy. He was the other quarterback in the recruiting class that got us Brad Kaya. You know, so he's a guy who, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Maybe he'll be, you know, a redshirt junior, redshirt senior like he was and play some snaps then. But it's not going to be for a while. And hopefully it's only for a little bit before you cede the position to somebody better. Um and then we started winning all these games and had this championship-caliber defense, which, by the way, Miami's defense was championship-caliber last year, but the offense gave them less than nothing. Yep. Um, right. But even through the 2017 season, I was writing about the fact that, no, he's not good enough. And things – I mean, there's going to be a team that figures out or is able to execute the game plan, which is just, you know, crash against the run play man press coverage because we only run a couple different routes with the receivers and dare number 12 to hit throws. And, you know, Georgia Tech, who was bad that year, they did it for the majority of that game, actually, um, until that miracle Daryl Langham catch of falling down on his back. Uh, that was the week after Florida State, a, a team whom we should have blown out the week before, but didn't, like one on the last second throw. So that was another bad game. North Carolina was up on Miami at the half uh, in that game. Oh, and then yeah. we came out, I, I hit a double that. move to Jeff Thomas, yeah. you, I mean, on the first play or the first drive of the second half. But, I mean, you, you saw teams getting closer to being able to do what needed to be done against what was being presented. And then that Pittsburgh game, the day after Thanksgiving was terrible. The bowl game, I mean, it just these losses just, you know, continued. And then to start this year, that's really where it was. And, you know, I know that we've talked about recruiting a little bit, but Miami leveraged the recruiting class, the 2018 recruiting class, against the 2017 season. So they said, we're not going to do really in-season visits, except for a couple. One of them got us Jaron Williams uh, during the Notre Dame week, which is the week after we, got, uh, we played Virginia Tech in 2017. But we're going to stop recruiting, or we're going we're gonna to throttle back on recruiting a lot because we're pushing for this college football playoff spot. So if we get that CFP spot, now we have this huge chip that we can use as recruiting leverage. But if we don't get there, then all the things that we put on the back burner are now on somebody else's stove. And when that happened at Pittsburgh that day, that whole recruiting class or a lot of it, a lot of the great work that had been done went right out the window because you're building towards something. And then you didn't even get to the conference championship game against Clemson and then play them close. No, I went to Charlotte that day. We got blown out. You know what I mean? But it yeah. just, it continued right, yeah. in bloody. a poor direction. So like what all that was smoke and mirrors, you know what I mean? So like there was, there was that going as well. And then, yeah, like you said, seven and six last season in a poor ACC or ACC Colt. Well, ACC pretty much, except for Clemson. Um, 
just wasn't good enough. And yeah, I think, you know, just like Al Golden was good for a time, he served a purpose, I think so too did Mark Richt. Uh, and it was a, a perfect time for him to, to move aside and just bring in somebody with a new idea, uh, new energy, new passion. Um, and I'm not going to say that he's not energetic or not passionate, but, you know, he's a little older and yeah. he'd been there and he'd gotten, stale. you know, a little stale. Just, I mean, it, it got 15 years at Georgia, but it got three years at Miami. And if he wasn't right. going to do the changes that I outlined before about, you know, especially schematically and staffing wise on offense, if you're not going to change those things, then it's not going to get better. Yeah. It's just like Al Golden right. wasn't going to change anything on defense because for whatever reason, he decided he was going to keep Mark D'Onofrio playing this soft zone, you know, three, three, four defense when you don't have the bodies for that here at Miami. And the guys are just like, well, what you're teaching doesn't make sense. Well, at least and, he looked yeah, good doing it, Mr. Ty on the sidelines. I mean, right. hey, I guess he was so. sharp. <laughs> he was sharp. But, you know, when you think about Richt, the thing is with him, the, the long time he was with Georgia, yeah. for me, Mark Richt was for a long time in college football one of the most underappreciated coaches for the level of consistency and, and, and the way his Georgia teams played. I thought they were fantastic. But it got to a point where even the Georgia fan base was kind of over him after a while, and he hung around for quite a bit um, to the point where he started having pressures from above. Uh, getting him to make personnel changes, mm -hmm. getting him to change the way he ran the program. And I think part of the reason he resigned is because he had been at Miami in such a short time, and it was already happening to him again. Well, and you can argue that it was deserved. You can argue that it was undeserved. For me, I thought that what he did at Miami was un you, you couldn't accept that as a Miami fan. No, you couldn't. Um, and, it, and it's just I think that's what led to his resignation was the fact that he maybe thought he was going to be given more time or more leeway and – it came crashing down See, just like that. But the thing about it is he was going to get plenty of leeway from the people who matter. Like, right. It was all of us on the outside who were pissed. But, like, you know, his boss, you know, the athletic director, like, quote, unquote, his boss, because Mark Rick had all kinds of cachet, had all kinds of juice here, you know, like, maybe wasn't making those same pushes. He wasn't making those same demands. But uh, the analogous situation for me is um, Lloyd Carr at Michigan to Mark uh. Rick at Georgia. You know, where nine and That's three good one. didn't wasn't good enough for the Michigan men. And then, you know, you bring in uh, a Rich Rodriguez. That was terrible. Then you bring in Brady yeah. Hope. That was terrible. You bring in, you know, <laughs> Jim Harbaugh and you're finally kind of sort of getting back to being Michigan football. But, you know, after a while, I mean, yeah, 10 and two, nine and three for Michigan under Lloyd Carr is really damn good, you know, yep. every year. But it's not good enough. Well, it, it's, and that's it's Mac Brown, right? Were. That's what Mac Brown was at Texas. Well, Mac Brown, he even, he even dipped a little bit below that. But, yeah, for, yeah you start having he three dipped, or four losses consistently. He had one season with less than nine wins. And yeah. Yeah. I think the issue with Mac Brown was top five recruiting class every single year and just couldn't get it done. But at the same time, it's like, okay, well, since he's left, they've been an absolute disaster until, you know, they've, they've started looking up since last year. Right. But jumping back to the Manny Diaz situation, so mm – -hmm. Mr. Mr. Tony Montana, as I like to call him, huh. he's a guy <laughs> who he's got he's got that Miami swag, right? Yes, he does. You know, he's he's just got that look about him. He brought the turnover chain. He he's a guy who really the strong suit of Miami over the last two years has been led by him, the defense. Yep. And then boom, he goes to Temple right before Mark Rick leaves. Mark Rick leaves. 
They end up having to pay the buyout to get him back. He comes back. He's Mr. Miami. There's been a couple of stories that have come out. Don't know if they're true. Don't know if they're fake. Uh, but just about how they've been kind of trolling Florida State um, just on the recruiting trail and like coaches mm-hmm. clinics around the state of Florida. But I so hope it's true. Oh, oh I mean, well, I, no, 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 no. That coaches clinic in Orlando story was that, uh, was is that true? 100% true. Okay. So, <laughs> Why so don't you for, elaborate for, on that? Because that's a great story. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. So for the listeners who might not know, Florida State was going to hold a coaches clinic in Orlando. It was a Nike-sponsored clinic because, you know, they're a Nike school and everything. And at the same venue, uh, so you had to, like, check in and everything. You know, okay, you're going to go in and see the keynote speakers, da, 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 get your materials, blah, blah, blah. At the same place or, like, right next door, Miami's coaches drove up to Orlando got like a room and they're like hey we're just some guys who are here come hang out we got free beers we got some food you know whatever whatever <laughs> at the same time that they're doing check-in for the florida state clinic for high school coaches and whatnot uh and like i said i i have it on very good authority uh from someone who was actually multiple people who were there that's absolutely true that's 100 percent factual that's 100 percent what actually happened uh up there in uh in orlando that day so yeah i mean it's just it's all good natured fun you know like their arrival of ours and everything and uh it's just manny diaz you know being uh when he was back uh or got, came back he was at temple for 13 days uh before uh, mark Richt uh, stepped down and then got hired that day, uh, that Sunday. Manny, Manny Diaz did. He had two meetings with, uh, excuse me, the athletic director that day. Um, so the first one was like, "Hey, would you be interested in coming back?" And then the AD went to the board of trustees and was like, "Yeah, we need to like put together a compensation package and contract right now. I'm going to go back and meet with him at seven o'clock or eight o'clock p.m. and then we're going to get this done." And then they did. Um, but yeah, he's just he had a, a, a firm idea of what he wanted the program to be. Manny Diaz's father was at one time the mayor of Miami-Dade County, I believe, uh, or right. the city. One, of, I think it was the county, yeah. But So, I mean, he grew up down here and everything. Like, his father was in politics. Like, he's very uh, Miami through and through. Um, and, yeah, you know, he just has that, that bravado, you know. Like, he came up with the idea for the turnover chain, and he says there's going to be something on offense uh, this year as well. Um, and we'll see what that ends up being. But, yeah, just a new – a new mindset, you know, he, he's been talking about hashtag TNM, the new Miami, you know, so just getting back to the roots and doing things a little bit differently. You know, he, he brought in the strength and conditioning coach from Temple uh, to replace the old uh, strength and conditioning coach or the previous one uh, about whom there were some rumors about not necessarily being the greatest, uh, <laughs> maybe being more of a cheerleader than like an actual SNC coach. Um, <laughs> Right. But, yeah, I mean, he's doing great work. I mean, I've seen some of the pictures of uh, the, guy, the guys on the team as they've been going through these workouts this offseason, and, like, their bodies are noticeably different in a good way. You know, there's muscles where, you know, there was a little bit of muscle, but now there's, like, muscles, you know what I mean? So, right, right. Uh, that's a good thing. But, yeah, you know, Manny Diaz coming back, I think it was a – it is a bit of a stretch in that he's never been a head coach before. That's what gives me pause um, with him. But as far as – what he's needed to do and gotten done in this offseason part, I, I like what I've seen, but I'm going to definitely reserve judgment for, you know, performance on the field because there has to be that part of it that backs up all of this. You know, you can talk a good game. You can have a, you know, beer night bros time against the Florida State coaching clinic. You can get guys from the transfer portal. You can be dancing in the locker room. You can, you know, tweet this and graphic design that. You can do all those things, and that's all well, good, and fine. But if you don't start winning games, then there's a problem. So, you know, I, I think that he's going to do well. I hope he's going to do well. Um, 
you know, but uh, we'll see what actually happens when uh, when the lights come on. He's at the, the front of the team, not just the front of the defense. Yeah, and, you know, the thing about Manny, too, I've been following him for a long time since he was the special teams coordinator at NC State under Chuck Amato. Okay. He's always been a fantastic coach. Uh, seems to have a really great personality, and, and on this uh, on this show, we go back to looking at some of the coaching vacancies last year. I was thrilled for Temple to hire a guy like that because I thought it was a complete home run hire. Mm-hmm. He is such a great fit culturally for Miami, mm-hmm. um, and, and he's still a stabilizing force while being young and dynamic. I really do think the potential is through the roof for him. And I mean, could you imagine having a better defense to start off at a new school as a head coach? I mean, he, he's going to have one of the best defenses, if not easily the best defense in the ACC next year. If he can get that quarterback position figured out and, and get the offensive scheme right, um, Manny could have success, in the, obviously, in the short term. But, I mean, long term, he's a guy that could be there for years and years and years, and, and that's his destination job. So, I mean, to me, it's a knockout hire. Yeah, I mean, I, I love it, you know, but I also still want to see the, the fruit of that labor. You know, sure. I want to I see the wins to validate – my enthusiasm, you know what I mean? I mean, because right. even absolutely, even with, uh, you know, Al Golden, there was a glimpse when, you know, we had a nine-win season, but there fell was. a little bit short. You know, there was. There it was. wasn't. Golden was in a tough spot, though, because they got hit he with was. sanctions at that point and, you know, right. yeah, were, yeah, yeah. you know, not bowl eligible for two years. And I always right. felt like Golden was just this, like, scapegoat. And to be honest, like, I haven't heard his name really since. Like, no. it's popped up here and there. but Well, I will tell you. Because I'm from Detroit, and I know exactly where he's hired because he coaches for your Detroit Lions. He was a tight ends coach, and now he's a linebackers ah. coach, which everybody in the Canes fan base will like not let me forget because anytime that the Lions are on television <laughs> in any market and the sideline is shown, you better believe that there's a screen cap and then incoming tweets to my mentions of everybody taking that picture. So I know exactly where he is. Outside of Thanksgiving, when are the Lions shown? See, but that, no, that was a little <laughs> shade. I'm a Packers fan. It, it, no, first of all, that was shade. Uh, there's <laughs> usually one other game because we do have one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the league. And again, there you go. our fan base is not just in Miami. So if you happen to live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you're getting the Cowboys Lions game that's not national, mm-hmm. you're going to take a screenshot and send it to Cam because that's what people do <laughs> because those are my quote unquote friends. And I hate them when they do this kind of stuff. But no, I know exactly where Al Golden is, and he got hired. Fairly quickly, actually, after we let him go in that role uh, with the the Lions, and you know, I've just it's it's continued because uh, we drafted that year that uh, we hired Al Golden, the Lions that is, drafted Eric Ebron from uh, North Carolina, the mm-hmm. tight end, because that was the year that he had like eighty seven catches for nine thousand yards and fifty three touchdowns <laughs> against Miami that one day. So he was like, cool, whatever, and. Like, people on Twitter were, like, adding Ebron. They're like, who's your position coach? He's like, man, I just got to play my game. And I'm like, oh, my God. So, like, (laughs) you know, when he got transitioned golden from tight ends coach to linebackers coach, uh, a friend of mine added Ebron. It was like, yeah, you're doing a happy dance or whatever. And he responded with a gif of him, like, like doing a praise dance from church. And I'm like, this is wonderful. So, yeah. So, so I guess, you know, another issue with Golden, too, is I don't think a shirt and tie is sanctioned NFL sideline apparel. So what does he rock? Is he um, a sweater guy, a polo? No, he's the uh, the quarter zip, the pullover quarter okay. zip. Okay, yeah, yeah, hey, um, that's classy. Yeah, I would yeah. expect nothing less. Maybe short sleeve or long sleeve, depends on. Case it I rains. think it's short sleeve most leagues. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. 
So just to recap, you know, let's head into uh, the spring and kind of see what we're dealing with Miami here. So they go seven and six last year. They were basically seven and nine over the last 16 games of the Mark Richt era. Four and four in conference. Uh, they played Wisconsin two years in a row in a bowl, which is pretty odd, but they got absolutely annihilated in the New Era Pinstripe oh, Bowl, yeah. 35-3. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had five players drafted, four on defense, uh, and uh, they were very active on the transfer portal front. They lost four guys, but uh, you know they brought in Trayvon Hill, who threw up the U at his Virginia Tech graduation. Ugh, absolutely awesome. disgusting. Knife in the heart. I, well, uh, knife in the heart. I hope he uh, finds finds some pine this year for the Miami Hurricanes. And he brought in a defensive end. I'm probably going to butcher his name, but Shigozi Naraka. And then Naruka. Uh, okay. And then Bubba Bolden, safety USC. But the big name story of the offseason, really, Tate Martell. Tate. Tathan. Tathan. Yeah. Like Tathan that. Martell. I think this guy is the most Miami glitz and glam quarterback I've ever seen in my life. I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad he's at Miami. It's a match made in heaven. Because there is not a player that I would love to, I'm not going to say hate. Hate's a strong word. But just... Mm-hmm. I'd love to hate in the football sense, right? You you mm. always got those players on those opposing teams. He's yeah. he's that guy that I want that Johnny to happen. I've got the perfect perfect reason to do this. But <laughs> is he going to start this year? I mean, I know he's going to, but what do you think right now? Heading, I honestly don't. Um, I don't think that he's a shoe in to start. I he's really not a honestly shoo-in. believe he's not a shoe in. Yeah, no. I mean, it's not set in stone like. You know, Justin Fields transferring from Georgia to Ohio State. He was going to start. I mean, he's the number two player yeah. in America behind Trevor Lawrence, his, you know, two years ago on the recruiting trail. Like, he's big and strong, can throw the ball a mile, he can run dudes over, he can run by him. Like, he was going to start. Um, Tate Martell coming down, there's more talent in the quarterback room at Miami now than there has been in years, first of all. So, and I think so that that's going to be part of it. So, it sounds like you're higher on Nikosi Perry than I am. My, I have been a Nikosi Perry fan from the time that we recruited him as a high school junior. I am very high on his tools. Um, like as a wide you know, receiver? I watched all the film. Or as a no, as a quarterback. Absolutely. Like, I mean, no, like being dead serious, no smile on my face, like as a quarterback. Um, you, I mean, you don't approach the level of a Dante Culpepper. You don't shatter Dante Culpepper's records from high school. Didn't just break them, shattered them. You don't do that unless you have skills. He has on a baseball 2080 scale where 80 is elite, he has an 80 arm. I mean, he can throw the ball. Um, now, is he raw? Yes. But, I mean, he can run, he can juke, he can throw the ball a mile. Now he needs to get a little bit better with his reading coverages and fitting the ball in with some touch and things. But there is the framework of a really good quarterback there with Nikosi Perry. So, yes, I am higher on him and his skills uh, or his potential than other people are but this is year three so it is damn sure time that perry starts to turn potential into performance otherwise like you know his career is going to end he's going to transfer somewhere else and i mean i'm just going to be caught talking about what could have been because i saw what was in high school but he never has gotten towards that now so do you do you Um, think he's the guy who starts the season at quarterback (sighs) over jaron williams put him on the spot or tape mortel See, Jaron Williams was a high school All-American, uh, uh, Adidas All-American. It used to be the Army All-American game. Uh, kid is good. 
and you could see his freshman year, um, last year, sorry, yeah, that the game was just a tick too fast for him. Like, even in the spring game, he's like, oh, I'm going to throw the ball here, and then a linebacker flashed in that window, and he's like, oh, wait, what? Like, there's not usually a linebacker there because, you know, you're coming up from high school and everybody's not on that level yet. But he has incredible physical skills, uh, great mental acuity as well. Um, so all three guys, including Tate Martell, uh, have talent, but they're just very different. You know, Tate Martell, he's shorter, uh, he's faster, he's more of a runner. He's going to play that Johnny Manziel style where if the play breaks down, that's when he's excellent. If you go back and look at his high school tape from Bishop Gorman High School, that's when, you know, real extraordinary things happened was when Tate Martell started running around versus Jaron Williams, who's more of a, you know, on rhythm, in time quarterback versus Nikosi Perry, who's kind of boomer bust, but he can throw the ball a mile, you know. So each of them brings their, their, their strengths and weaknesses to the position. It's really going to come down to me. I think that like right now in the summer during, uh, you know, the summer sessions, summer A and summer B, when they're having uh, player led practices, who's really doing that work? Who's working with the, you know, with the wide receivers, the tight ends, the running backs, you know, offensive line, you know, who's just like, hey, we're going to go out there and we're going to do some stuff. Who's building that rapport and who's in this playbook? Because it's a thick playbook, it's a new playbook, and it has all kinds of exotic things like motions because Miami's run literally, I think we ran three plays with any kind of motion last year, like total, not like three plays that we would repeat, like three instances of somebody moving on offense. Because for years, even go back to Al Golden, Miami's offense had been very sedentary, as in we would break the huddle, we would line up, and we would run the play, regardless of what the defense showed us. Um, so yeah, adding all these different things is different for the quarterbacks. Um, so it's, it's really going to be who's doing the work right now. I think that each player has the ability and capacity to be the quarterback at Miami, uh, but it really is just upon them. So, you know, one scrimmage that I saw, uh, Tate Martell was atrocious. He was very, very bad. But they didn't let him run. They kept him in the pocket. They said, you got to go through your reads. you got to do this. The last scrimmage up in Orlando that a, one of our writers and a bunch of my friends was at, they were like, oh, yeah, no, Tate Martell kind of had the handcuffs taken off where he could be himself and he could move around a little bit more and do those kind of things, and he was excellent. So I, I mean, it's too early yeah. to call. So It's too early to call. I'll give you, I'll give you this on Nikosi Perry. I'll, I'll use Khalil Tate as an example at Arizona. Okay. So he's a guy who two years ago – Coming into the 2018 season, you know, we thought he was going to be up for the Heisman. Yeah. Heisman frontrunner in some Kevin cases. Kevin Sumlin mm-hmm. comes in, completely derails the entire offense. The guy was like a shell of whatever he had been. So, I'll give it to you. Coaching can affect a player. What I think Perry lacks and what I think he's not going to be able to overcome is accuracy. And I, I yeah. think with a Dan Enos run offense, you know, Bama coordinator – what kind of quarterbacks have we seen that have had success at Bama over the last couple of years? Taking Tua out of it, but even like a Jalen Hurts to an extent. A guy who can move out of the pocket when things break down. Which leads to one of the themes of the Miami Spring is that offensive line, which yeah. was an absolute disaster last year. And that's putting it Tate, nicely. Tate Martell. Yeah is a guy who is going to be able to make the most things happen, in my opinion, from either a pocket standpoint and or being able to take off out of the pocket when things break down. Because it's not if things break down for my, the Miami offense. It's when it's going to happen and or how often it's going to happen. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's fair. That's absolutely fair. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see, speaking of offensive schemes, and, and I'm going to shoot this over to you, Cam, what do you expect Miami to do differently on offense with Enos coming in? Sorry, 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 sorry. What do I expect him to do differently? I, th- I expect, and this kind of goes to the quarterback issue because it is tied up in that. I believe that the offense, I think he has three different versions ready. I sure. think that there's going to be your set plays. I mean, there's going to be your staples, you know, your inside zone, outside zone, you know, like the, the mesh routes or the, cr- the, mm-hmm. the shallow crossing routes. Uh, Dan Enos has talked about, or uh, our X's and O's guy who's a football coach uh, for State of the U, he's talked about the fact that Dan Enos and I think that other journalists uh, have, have gotten this from Enos in interviews, but he wants to have like a shallow crossing route in every play available just in case, like even if you're looking deep, hey, there's a check down kind of a thing there. So giving the quarterbacks more friendly reads or building in yeah. friendly reads, yeah. that's a thing that wasn't done before. Like no. if it was second and medium, third and long, Miami was going to run verticals. I don't know if it was going to be three or four, <laughs> but it was going to be verts. And, yeah, it was and four it verts even, all day. Yeah, but the thing is, it wasn't even Mike Leach's four verts, you know, the play, the famous play, quote-unquote, six, that he calls it, which sure. if you haven't read the, uh, the first book by uh, Chris B. Brown of Smart Football, you need to read that. And he has a whole chapter breaking down all the side adjustments and things and how you can run four verticals and it can be a dynamic thing. No, 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 no. We're just running verticals with no side adjustments, <laughs> no, you know, constraints built into it and that was going to be a problem so i think that there's going to be just a diversity of of play calling you know it uh and i put the picture up in a bunch of people miami's play calling last year was like original tecmo bowl like four plays you know hopefully yeah, it, it was, was two runs and two passes vanilla it was it was super vanilla it so i think that you're gonna a lot get... like a scott leffler offense yes it sure does but yes bowling, <laughs> bowling green's new head coach by the yeah. way hey yep. well go bowling green uh yeah. but yeah it was so we're gonna have diversity and i think that that's gonna happen in a multitude of ways it's gonna happen by alignment it's gonna happen by motion it's gonna happen by personnel grouping and there's gonna be some things built in obviously on a weekly basis to combat what the opposing team does, but also to highlight what the quarterbacks do well. So I think that there's going to be, obviously, if Tate Martell's your quarterback, there's going to be more quarterback run built in. If Nikosi Perry's going to be your quarterback, you might have a little bit more max protect with, like, your super deep shot, take the top off the defense. And, you know, if Jaron Williams is, maybe do a little bit more rollout with the intermediate passing because his accuracy is one of his best abilities. Um, You know, so there's going to be those things that are highlighted. But, yeah, I mean – Miami's going to try to run the ball, and that's always been a thing. So we have a stable of running backs. We have the nation's best fullback from the 2018 recruiting class is a redshirt freshman now, so he's going to play. Um, but, yeah, the offensive line just needs to be better. Um, and we're looking at every available option. We just got a Juco transfer. Um, oh, my God. He, I forget his name. Uh, I hate it when I do this. Um, I got to look it up. Excuse me one second. But he, yeah. Yeah, he I mean, just committed While you're this doing past that week. too, you know, I, I think Miami's a team that they're going to be playing super fast this year on offense. Because the faster they play, the more they can keep the defense on their heels. You know, it's going to be less kind of sit back in the pocket. It's going to be those one-two step drops, find the open mm-hmm. receiver super quick, West Coast style, but also giving the quarterback the ability to, to run out of the pocket. And to me – Tate Martell is the guy who is going to 
win that. over Enos in the summer. And yeah. I understand he might have struggled a little bit in the spring, but he did just leave another program, had to learn the entire offense. I mean, everybody had to learn the same offense, right? Because I'm sure right. it wasn't the exact sure. same. But still, different players are going to react differently to that, different type of offense. Mm-hmm. I think it's Martell. Yeah. I mean, I just, to yeah, me, I mean, it fits the mold of what Miami is going to have to do on offense next season because of that offensive line. It's a fair point. I mean, when you consider the offensive line and where it is and where it projects to be, obviously we, we'd hope to see some improvement there uh, from Miami. But I'm, you're right about Tate and his ability to get out of the pocket and make plays. Um, you know, I, I think Cam brings up a good point. It's kind of what I was hinting at with Enos. It's it's hard to say what we're going to get from those quarterbacks mm-hmm. because I do think they were put behind the eight ball last year in regards to play calling, and that offense was not friendly to those quarterbacks, and that can have a huge effect on what how they are and, and, and whether or not they're getting rattled and whether or not they're able to find a rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, there is potential in that quarterback room, and, and I really do think Enos is going to be able to get something out of those guys. And you know, you're kind of selling me on Nikosi again. I was, you know, totally I, – I didn't think Nikosi had a shot, honestly. Um, but listening to you talk about him and thinking about Enos, maybe there is a – you know, maybe there are some embers there. I mean, yeah, the, the potential is there. The athleticism is there. The arm is there. Um, you know, the build is there. Like, I mean, he's, he's the tallest guy in the quarterback room. He's a legit 6'4 uh, and everything. He can run. He can move. Um, can he do it consistently? Can he read defenses? Can he hit throws? Um, right. You know, those are going to be the things. But, you know, getting back to the offensive line, the Juco uh, recruit's name was Osman Traore. Um, and he comes in from Hutchinson Community College. Um, and he's going to be on campus for summer B session with three years to play. Um, and immediate eligibility as well. So he's a guy who can step into the conversation. Um, Miami is looking at potentially starting a true freshman at left tackle, Zion Nelson from South Carolina, who was a two-star recruit. He was like 6'5", 240, committed to Appalachian State. Miami offered him late, got him. He's already up to 275. He was working with the first team uh, offensive line at left tackle. Um, and he could be there. Navon Donaldson, two years ago, was a freshman All-American. He's going to have a spot on the line. Who knows where that's going to be. DJ Scaife started like five or six games as a true freshman last year. He's going to have a spot on the line. Who knows where that's going to be. And there's some other guys who have some talent and some pedigree, you know, recruiting stars to their, to their names who are there. But, I mean, yeah, there's even, if, even with Donaldson and Scaife starting, they're probably going to be in different positions than they started at last year, which to me makes right. them a new starter. So you have five new starters, but two of them have extensive experience. Corey Gaynor from Stoneman Douglas High School uh, is a redshirt sophomore now, and he's probably in the running for your center. you got other guys. Uh, John Campbell was a four-star. He could be at a tackle. Zelante Hillary, who was DJ Dallas's high school teammate, he could be a guard or right. a tackle. Uh, Cleveland Reed is a redshirt freshman. He was the state powerlifting champion in Florida for three years in high school. He could be at a guard. Um, Kyleon Herbert was a four-star uh, All-American uh, recruit. He could be at a tackle or a guard. I mean, there, there are options there. Then you add in a Traore because – and people, uh, you know, they were adding me when Miami brought him in for an official visit last week saying, oh, we need tackles, we need tackles. And I said, look, who on the offensive line is good enough when we don't need guards? Because even, <laughs> if, even if you say that Navon Donaldson is good enough to be an All-American at guard because he was a freshman All-American his freshman year, right? Right. That's one guy. You still have four other spots. You still have another guard spot. So one guard is great. Awesome. Cool. But you got another <laughs> spot still. 
Who's going right. to lock that down? Well, maybe or, or, or. The fact that you said maybe and three ors means that you don't know anybody who's going to lock that down. So bring in another guy and let's get the competition going. I don't see how that's anything different than what we did at quarterback. Because we have two talented guys, we got a freshman uh, from Texas who was Cole High School, uh, Cole Houston Private School Offensive Player of the Year. He's probably never going to play a meaningful snap here, but he has some talent where he raises the floor of the position. But we didn't say that was good enough. We went and got Tate Martell. Why are we acting like it's different at offensive guard when we saw this offensive line was a sieve? It was an absolute turnstile. Right. Like, it was horrible. It was horrible. So, yeah, bringing in another guy, um, I think that's going to just increase competition because we know that at no position – are you set? Like, nobody has a starting job. Like, locked down. I think that Donaldson and Scaife are our two most talented offensive linemen, so I think that they're going to find their way into the starting lineup. But I can't even tell you where they're going to start because they could start at any of five positions on the line. So, yeah, bringing right. in another guy. Hopefully he's going to increase that uh, competition and help out in the long run. But, yeah, I mean, as much as we've talked about the quarterbacks and what they're going to do and everything – this offensive line is going to be such a key because, as we've seen, if the offensive line is not able to block and move people, that means Miami's not going to be able to run the ball. And it doesn't matter if we have three or four elite-level running backs if they have no room to run, and then you're in third and long or you know medium or fourth and whatever, and you have to throw you know go vertical, but you don't have time to run four verts or three verts or whatever kind of verts because your offensive line is getting beat clean off the edge. For a strip sack, which happened multiple times last year, even against Virginia. Um, I forget who the other, like Duke. Yeah, it was a third and like 12. Say, okay, cool. We're going to do from the shotgun a straight five-step drop back pass. Boom. Edges are, are the, the edge rushers around the corner, dips and rips, sack, fumble, turnover, boom. Other team's ball. And so that's where the offensive line really has to step up. And hopefully these guys who we have are able to do that. Yeah, and, and maybe under Dan's tutelage, I know Dan was able to bring in Butch Berry, who he has some time with at Central Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, coming from the NFL as a, I believe he's an assistant offensive line coach in the NFL with Tampa Bay. Yep. Um, you know, hopefully he's going to ma- be able to make a bigger impact and fix kind of the mess that Searles had uh, going for him Ooh. when he was there. Man. Yeah, so I mean, I'll say this about Miami, right? They've got a very favorable schedule, in my opinion, next year. And Honestly, a lot of teams do in the ACC because the ACC is down for the most part. But if they can make that offensive line work, it doesn't have to be great. But if they can make it work more times than not, I think they're going to be okay because that defense is the strength of this team. You know, I think everybody needs to realize that is what is going to win Miami football games one way or the other. So even if their offense is poor because of that offensive line, they're still going to have a shot in just about every single game that they play because of that yeah. D. But mm-hmm. that leads me to kind of our predictions for the season, right? So FanDuel actually just came out, has Miami's the overwhelming favorite to win the uh, Coastal Division this year in the ACC. UVA is a close mm-hmm. second. Virginia Tech is a third. So you say as they should be. Yes. Those three teams absolutely. that I just reeled off, UVA, Miami, Virginia Tech – there's so much what's the right word um i don't know but there's there's so many teams that are so similar in the coastal and these three teams specifically virginia tech's going to beat uva because uva can't beat virginia tech that's been proven i love it uh miami virginia tech miami's three and oh in the last three years so until it happens i'm, I'm going to give the edge to miami but i think the virginia tech offense this year 
is going to be extremely high-powered. It's their defense that I'm concerned about, which is historically not Just the problem. Just awful last year. Last year yeah. was so bad. Um, <laughs> I think that Virginia Tech-Miami game is a toss-up, and I think it's a toss-up pretty much every year. I don't know if it's. I don't know if there's any one team that's overwhelmingly should be the favorite. Now maybe Miami is the favorite, but overwhelmingly, uh, I I think that's a little bit, a little bit much for my taste. Um, I I just disagree. For the longest time, and I keep saying this, and they keep unfortunately taking this as a challenge to be um, like overcome, but. It comes down to Miami handling business and playing like Miami, playing up to the standard. And I won't even say the standard of championships from when I was an undergrad from 2000 to 04. I won't even say that. If they played up to the level of talent on the roster, because there's nobody in the Coastal who's even close. The only two teams in the conference who were on or above Miami's level of talent on the roster are Florida State, who's about equal, and then Clemson, who's like is ridiculously talented. But... If you play to that level and stop playing down to the level of opponents, then, I mean, yeah, if you handle your job, if you do your thing, Miami should win. Miami should. That's just, you have the more talented team, like across the board. You just do. The only, I mean, in, on, the, on the schedule this year, there's three teams that Miami is, like, on an equal footing. Two, two teams whose talent is, like, equal to Miami. That's Florida and Florida State. Clemson's not on the schedule until the ACC championship game. And even if you want to count them, their talent is greater than Miami's. So that means in 10 games out of the 13 regular season games, Miami's the more talented team. You need to win those games. You just do. And it's just that that's where – and I know that this is – this sounds like cocky Miami fan or whatever. But just like you talked about with Virginia not being able to beat Virginia Tech – if you're the more talented team, you expect to beat them. Yes? Like you guys, Right. You, you guys are more talented than Georgia Tech, so you're not going to sit here and equivocate and say, oh, that might be close. If you're the more talented team as Virginia Tech, you expect to beat Georgia Tech. Miami's the more talented team across the – like in every game except for Florida and Florida State where the talent is equal. Miami should win these games. Do you, do you think it, the talent of Florida State is equal? I mean, Florida State's talent historically might have been equal. But it's what it's probably what Mr. Yeah. Jimbo left them was a bare cupboard. I mean, no, 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 no. We saw that in the NFL no. draft this year. They only had two guys drafted. They, right, but you had a first rounder, Brian Burns, and then the offensive line was really bereft of talent. Actually, it wasn't even Oof. bereft of talent. It had it a lot of awful. injuries, and well, the player development was not. Maybe maybe my thing with Florida State then they've all they're always a team with talent. Yeah. Okay, but. They're a team that has just quit in the last yeah. two years. Facts. Yep. So Facts. I don't care if they have talent. And that goes back to the recruiting thing. I don't care what your talent see, is. I see, need you to play is, a game on the field. I want gamers. Right. I want guys see, but, that are going to play within the system. Because like I said before, Virginia Tech is not a school that is going to outclass schools in talent across the board. They're mm -hmm. never going to have the most talent in the ACC, ever. Right. They wouldn't have it in the SEC. They wouldn't have it in the Pac-12. They wouldn't have it in the Big Ten. Virginia Tech is Virginia Tech. But what they do best, historically, last year was mm -hmm. not the case, tough defense, people play within the system, and hopefully they can put an offense together under Fuente. 
but they always have a chance to win for the most part. Right, but my counterpoint to you on specific to Miami is Florida State has been abjectly terrible these last two years. They've played Miami within three points in these two years. And we talk about this every single year at State of the U, whether we were in the midst of that losing streak to them or now having won two in a row. Miami versus Florida State is different. Those guys went to high school together. They play – I mean, they live in the same neighborhoods. They try harder. And I've even talked to players, current, former, coaches, current, former, from both sides, and everybody will say to a man, regardless of what else is going on, we're going to bust our ass that week. We're going to play different that week. So the level of talent that's on Florida State's roster as it pertains to this conversation matters because even you saw last year, we're down 27 to 7 because they're playing. That's the one time that, like you're talking about, I don't care about pedigree. I care about performance. And they brought that performance that one time, and it happens to be against Miami. So I always have to consider that team as playing that way because, again, Miami – if you put the blind profiles of Miami versus Florida State in 2017 and 2018, you would have picked the Miami profile team to win by 17 or 21 points each year easily based upon just the advanced stats on, you know, the metrics, all those things. If you took away the names from those teams, but since it is Miami and Florida State, you saw the level of intensity and the level of performance and production actually changed. So that does a little bit matter to me. Yes, I would rather have them play, you know, be gamers and gut it out every week. And that kind of goes towards my point as well, because Miami has not done that. Miami has not played to that kind of a level every week or most weeks for pretty much any year except for 2017, you know, when we started out 10-0. and 0. I mean, 2016... Yeah, started off hot, lost four in the middle, won the last five. Cool, whatever. But outside of those two years, really, in the last, I don't know, 15, Miami has not played to that level. They've not been gamers. But if Miami is that, if they buy in, they're consistent, they play to the level of talent that they have on the roster, then Miami should easily be a 10-win regular season team and win the Coastal Division. I honestly believe that. But like I said at the beginning when you asked me this, uh, me saying this on podcasts or on the website or things, for whatever reason, the Miami Hurricanes football program has taken this as as a challenge to see if they can fall (laughs) in underneath what I've said they need to do. If they say, okay, well, if Cam says that we need to do our job, we need to handle our business, let's see how little we can do and still get by. And they do a little bit and they don't get by. So I still want to see, and it comes down to me, to Miami to play up to their potential or up to the level of talent on the roster because, again, it is the most in the conference outside of Clemson, and we should be winning these games just more often than not. And I know that sometimes things are going to happen. You're going to lose a couple games because going undefeated is super ridiculously incredibly hard, but this should not be a three-loss regular season team. It just shouldn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you on the talent stand front, but at the same time, I think talent is overrated a lot of times. Because talent is talent, right? I can look at a piece of paper and I can say this team should win, but that that just doesn't work. And right. it's and- been proven historically, it just like we talked about, 2004 to 2017, one outright Coastal Division title for Miami. For the most part, Miami was out recruiting Virginia Tech every single mm-hmm. one of those years. 
Oh, yeah, easily. No doubt. Virginia Mm -hmm. Tech typically hovers around 25 to 30 as far as their recruiting class. Miami, for the most part, anomaly here and there, probably going to be top 15. Okay. Yep. Oh yeah. So some sometimes get in the top class if we look at 2008. And it, um, it, it goes back yeah. to with the whole recruiting game. Anyways, it's it's just a sham. Like guys will go from no stars to three stars if an Alabama scout shows up to a game because Alabama's yeah. there. This guy must be pretty legit. I'm going to alter a star and I'm going to drop this guy back down because you know this school and this school wasn't paying attention. It doesn't matter. And at the end of the day. I just I I really don't care mm. for the most part what these guys are doing in high school. I need to see yeah. it on the power five collegiate level right consistently. But, but the counterpoint to that is I mean, like you do still have physical build things. I mean, so sure. you're five nine, hundred and fifty pound sure. wide receiver, you're probably gonna want, you know, a Calvin Johnson six five, two forty who's running a legit four three eight. You're gonna want that right. guy. So like yeah, I mean right. it's not a hundred percent predictive and things like that. But I was actually talking about that on, on our website's Twitter that I manage at the state of the U on Twitter if in case you want to follow it. I was talking about that today where three guys who are four-star recruits from Miami just got dropped. And I'm like, why? Because they've been committed to Miami for a year and three months and they're not taking visits and they're not going to waiver, you know, like Joe Jackson, you know, I mean, no, that is it. You know, Joe Jackson, when he was coming out of high school, there's no reason he shouldn't have been a five-star. Even Alabama was recruiting him, even though he was committed to Miami, but he said, Mm -hmm. I'm not taking visits. I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm going to Miami. So, you know, they're like, oh, we'll leave him at a four-star, but he's like 6'5", 255 as a 17-year-old, so we can't really drop him any further than that. So there is that measure of uh, uncertainty or whatever you want to call it in the recruiting industry where they do rise or raise or lower uh, recruits status based upon who's recruiting them. Um, you know, just kind of chasing the offers and then kind of modifying the the list uh, to fit the offers instead of really doing uh, exclusive evaluations and things. But I mean, if you have guys of size and pedigree and talent, you know, I don't, and yeah, you can take the recruiting thing with a grain of salt, but I mean, I, there's not a wide receiver on Virginia Tech's roster that I'm taking over Jeff Thomas. There wasn't one I was taking over Amon Richards when he was playing before he, you know, had a medical uh, disqualification. There's not a tight end. I would take Trey Turner over Jeff Thomas. Yeah, I absolutely that. would. Okay, fine. You can have him, and I'll take Jeff Thomas. Uh, there's not a tight end I'm taking over Brevin Jordan. There's not a tight end I'm taking over Will Mallory either. You know what I mean? I mean, and, like, if you keep going, well, obviously I will take Trayvon Hill. Thank you very much for that. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, apart from him, like, there's not really many players. There's probably in the secondary, because we have some open spots, there's probably some guys that I would take over the guys who are maybe fighting for a job right now at Miami, you know, uh, in the right. secondary. But otherwise – Linebackers, our linebackers have all been starting for four years. No thanks. Like defensive tackle, yeah, there's probably a guy there that I would take because we need a defensive tackle. But we've already taken Trayvon Hill, you know, and everything. We have Greg Russo. We have John Garvin. We have Scott Patchen. I mean, it's not like we're bereft of talent up front like you guys are talking about. The defensive line is going to be a thing. But, yeah, there's oh, yeah. just there is talent there. And, yeah, I need to see them do it at the Power 5 level. But you have big, strong, fast guys who did it at the high school level. It's easier to project them to do it at the college level. But for whatever reason, Miami has been unable to develop those guys and get that same performance out of them, which is the problem that needs to change. Yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think uh, I was just going to say, I think Miami defensively, you know, number two team in the conference, no doubt. It's, re- it's really on both sides of the ball. 
but you got to you got to be able to score points in this mm-hmm. in today's game and you know if one unit can't put it together it just it just doesn't matter what kind of talent Miami has they can lose to anybody outside of like a Bethune-Cookman right. Central Michigan cuz at the end of the day you got to get oh, yeah, defense yeah. help and if your offense is super legit you know and your defense sucks occasionally you need mm-hmm. your defense to bail them out and i that's why they're not winning right. consistently. Yeah. And if you, if again, I, I think they have a favorable schedule this year. You know, looking at it, I think they should be at a minimum nine and three. But there's those questionable games. You know, you got the FSU game, you got the Virginia Tech game, you know, you got the Florida game to open up the season. UVA game is going to be tough. You know, depending on how they're playing or what kind of injuries they're dealing with or, you know, what's happened in the program, you know. It's it's easy to say here right. in whatever month this is June that you know nine and three. Let's see what happens when you know after summer practice and the first few few games of the year gets kicked off. But I think nine and three is a, a good first year for Manny Diaz. They could be better. But I just yeah, want to hop in I, real quick yeah, and say sure. that I feel like you feel about Virginia. I am tired of hearing about them. I am tired of pretending like they're good. I am tired of finding a way to lose to them because Miami single-handedly kept their coach employed by Al Golden losing to them three years in a row. I'm tired of it. They are not good. I'm not going to entertain them as being good, period. I believe that the Coastal comes down to Miami and and Virginia Tech, if anybody, but Virginia, this is me totally being cocky Miami fan. Miss me with that. They suck. We gave them that game. We even even with giving them that game, they tried to give it back to us, but our offense wouldn't even take it last year. I'm tired of hearing about Virginia. I honestly and truly am, and I cannot wait to stomp on their face this year. No, I, I hear you on that. I, I yeah. love that you're tired of hearing yeah, we, about them. Whenever I hear the word Virginia, my skin just crawls. I just think of them, you know, just drinking a bunch of Zimas, you know, <laughs> some bow ties to the game. <laughs> You know, eating some cheese at the tailgate, yeah. walking in at halftime, blurry-eyed from, like, one or two Zimas, and then, like, falling asleep. I'm not even sure floor. why Bronco Mendenhall is a thing on at this point lawn. right now. The, the Virginia that I've seen with my own eyes tells me they're a middling to below-average ACC team. Thank you. And if you throw them on the other side of the conference, they're going to get two wins a year. They have a, they have a, they have a good athlete at quarterback. So, Virginia won games last year because of, what's-his-face, yep. Bryce Perkins? They did. Yeah, that's why they won games. So he, they will. And go they had a good secondary. They forced teams into a couple turnovers. Obviously, Miami was terrible. So you know, you get into third and longs and say, "Cool, we're going to run whatever exotic defense we want to," because Nikosi Perry won't be able to, uh, you know, figure it out. And then you go back to Malik Rogier. Cool, like that was going to help. Like I just, I, I'm, I'm totally over it. They're not good. We're going to blow them out. I'm tired of it. Mm. So what's your what's your prediction for Miami? Regular season is ten and two, um, just because I think that nine and three. Virginia Tech and Virginia with the the wins over. No, no, not at all. Nice try, Justin. <laughs> no, I, I nice tried try. to try to sneak that fastball by me, but at a bare minimum, I fouled that one off. Um, yeah. No, I mean I think that I want to beat Florida because I hate them more than like they're probably my second most hated team in the world. Um, that's because they're, like, smug and they're not good. Um, and they've beaten Miami twice in my lifetime, and I'm, like, within shouting distance of 40 years old. Um, so, like, this bravado from them I, I hate, but I just don't think right now that we're going to win that game. And then it comes down to either 
Florida State for the reasons that I've stated or Virginia Tech. Um, but, like, other than that, I don't necessarily think um, that there's too many other losses on that ske- on this schedule. But then also the counterpoint going towards your way of, like, a 9-3 and three is Miami has not been a team recently with either of the last two coaches that loses a game and then bounces back. Miami loses in at least two or, like, three or four game, like, bunches. So, you know, if you lose that yep. game – to Florida, and now you're on red alert for two weeks later against uh, North Carolina, who's terrible and we should blow out, but still, you know what I mean? Bingo. So if you lose that game November, the first weekend of November to Florida State, maybe you lose that next game the next week, you know what I mean? So um, I say 10-2 and two and fully admit that that is a little bit of the rose or orange and green colored glasses, um, <laughs> and then think, you know, if 9-3 and three were to happen, it would make sense to me. I just wouldn't like it because I think this team has the talent to be a 10-win team, but I obviously need to see what they're going to do. Yeah, and and that's fair. I think I'm sitting at 10-2 and two on them as well, but I keep wavering between 9-3 and three and 10-2. and two. Mm-hmm. For me, it comes down to last year. If you think about those games, um, if they get a marginal improvement from their offense last year, it's, it's a completely different year. Um, I think the same holds true for this year. With that defense being as elite as it, as it is and, and looking to be the same, uh, this year coming up, if they get a substantial to marginal improvement in that offense, we are going to be talking about a much different uh, team for Miami. And and maybe I'm putting too much stock in Miami's defense, um, but I really do think that they can carry the day in most cases, especially with that schedule. So I, I think I would land on the 10 and two side of things as well. And I think that, you know, Miami's uh, defense did carry the day last year. And I, I mean, I've read so much about it just because it's my team and it's my mater, but Miami had the worst quarterback play out of any Power 5 team in America last year. Like, statistically. Yeah, it doesn't like surprise me. The singular worst. So, even if you talk about going from the worst, which is 70th out of 70, and it was actually pretty even lower than that. It was in the 100s if you add in a uh, group of five uh, mm-hmm. and other, you know, Division One teams. It was it was last out of them, too, I believe. Uh, so, even if you go from 118th or 121st to 70th or 65th in terms of right. quarterback production, that's right. a monumental leap forward. So I think, oh, that's like mediocre. Yeah, but when you're coming from the literal bottom to the middle of the pack, that's a huge leap. And then like oh, you're talking sure. about, yeah, that's going to change things hopefully in a positive direction. But, yeah, you know, with three talented, uh, you know, guys, Dan Enos, a fellow Michigander uh, from Dearborn right outside of Detroit, went to Michigan there State University. Um for his undergrad, coach at Central Michigan with Butch Berry, like you talked about. Uh, him coming in and having been a – or is a quarterback guru and knows how to design offenses and has already talked about a couple of ways to try to help the quarterbacks be more efficient and effective. Hopefully that does, you know, progress that position uh, to give them a, a, a chance to be a lot better. And the defense, you know, I think they're going to be about the same. You have yeah. all four starting mm-hmm. linebackers – well – three linebackers, and then the hybrid linebacker uh, safety striker position. Right, um, the rover type. Yeah. You have all the same position coaches, and the one coach on defense that you change to bring in is, is the defensive coordinator who replaced Manny Diaz. It was a hand-picked guy to replace him when he left Louisiana Tech who ran the same uh, defense, just coached up Jalen Ferguson to be the all-time leading sacker in college football history. And then he comes over to call the defense while Manny Diaz moves up to the big seat. So you're bringing in a guy that the head guy taught to be the guy calling defense. So there should be 
seamless transition there, um, you know, as long as you're getting the production from those positions. So I think so, but <sighs> we'll see what happens. I just can't wait. They need to go ahead and kick off tomorrow as far as I'm concerned. I'm with it. I'll, I mean, Orlando's only a three-hour so, drive from my house. I'll hop in, in, <laughs> get in the garage, hop in the car. I'll be there lickety split. There you go. There you go. A little, a little bit of rapid fire so. for you, true or false. Tate Martell will be the biggest diva in Miami. Biggest diva history. false. Playmaker. Right, who's the, who's the biggest? <laughs> okay. That's probably true. Yeah. That checks out. I, yeah. I figured you were going to go there. Uh, turnover chain. Worst invention awesome. ever. Are true you or false. Me? <laughs> For Virginia Tech's lunch pail, far superior to the turnover chain. Super okay, false on that one. One. Uh, I just want oh, to hit on. Your top moments in the Virginia Tech Miami series to to cap it off. So just to give a little bit of history about the robbery, got started back on November thirteenth, nineteen fifty three. Met in two bowl games over the course of the course of the robbery: sixty six Liberty Bowl, eighty one Peach Bowl, and uh, both of these teams uh, were in the Big East prior to coming over to the ACC the same year. And uh, I will just like to point out, since 1995, Virginia Tech has dominated the series 14-8 and over Miami. And uh, both teams have been ranked in the top 25 11 times um, when meeting each other. So four meetings when both are in the top 10. Big robbery, probably top two or three robbery in the ACC. You know, I'd say Florida State, Miami's number one. Uh, but it's probably arguably a strong second uh, the Virginia Virginia Tech game is not really a rivalry. So what's your um, Miami moment? is five and two in the last seven against Virginia Tech. I just want to throw that out there. Um, <laughs> we so appreciate that, that. That math checks out. I, by the I way, I don't recall. Um, yeah, no. yeah. Uh, I'm going to cut that. Let's cut see that out of the, the, uh, the top ahead. moments for me. Um, I would have to go Willis McGahee in O2 scoring six touchdowns uh, yeah. for number one Miami. Um, 56-45 was that game. That was a that was a crazy, crazy that. game. It was just – I mean, I remember being at that game in undergrad, and it was, like, it was like laughable going both ways because every play that had the potential to be a big play was a touchdown. It was like – it, it was crazy. There, were, there was very few, to my recollection, you know, being drunk in the stands and whatever, but, like, there were very few, like, 15-yard gains. It was like a 15-yard play, somebody hit somebody, and you spin off of them and go for 85. It was, like, it was a crazy, crazy game. So that was a, that was a big one. Um, obviously, the year prior uh, in 01, uh, pulling out that win against you guys uh, in Blacksburg, 26-24, to get to the, uh, the championship game, that was, that was huge. Um, yeah, 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 that, that was a big, big deal. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, that was a that was a tense game. You know, um, you guys had a really great game plan, um, you know, and just tried to you know and and were able to succeed in that ball control. You know, you're going to run the ball, be physical. Kevin Jones, who the Detroit Lions drafted, by the way, uh, was your running back. Um, oh. and everything. So that that was huge. Absolutely. Um, and then, I mean. I know it's recent history, but yeah, that 2017 game, that 28 to 10, uh, not this past season, but the year before, uh, that led, that was a, a prime time game, Ooh. you know, mm-hmm. big, huge game. Both teams were, you know, obviously up for it and everything. And then Miami pulls that one out. And then that was the week before the Notre Dame beat down, which was like the pinnacle 
of Miami football that we've seen in the last decade, probably. You know, um, so yeah, you guys were like the the preamble to the to the speech, or you know, the appetizer before the entree. But I mean, that was a huge, huge, huge thing. Uh, I remember, yeah, just being very being very tense about that game because you guys had beaten us by three touchdowns of the year before uh, and things like that up in Blacksburg. So uh, that was a, a pretty big day also. So I would say some of those things, I already told you about, you know, my buddy throwing a touchdown pass that somebody dropped at Lane Stadium that one time. Um, but, yeah, I would say those are probably in my top few um, memories, or I would have to say, between uh, Miami and Virginia Tech. Yeah, I got to tell you, like two really stand out for me. The uh, 2003 game, Virginia Tech, 31 over, mm-hmm. uh, 31-7 over Miami. You had the D, D'Angelo yes. Hall strip fumble return for a touchdown. Classic. You had an Eric Green interception mm-hmm. return for a touchdown. It was just old school Virginia Tech dominance. Kevin Jones pounding the rock. Fairly disappointing season, really, for both schools, mm-hmm. 2003 was. Uh, but at the time we snapped Miami's 39-game regular season winning streak. So it was a, a big deal. It was in Blacksburg. It was prime time, and it was uh, it was glorious. And then, you know, last game of my uh, student student life in the, in the series, uh, Virginia Tech, again, 31-7 over Miami. It was uh, a rainy day. Tim, no, uh, Tim remembers this. There was uh, there was rain, there was wind, and there was Mister <laughs> Boston at the end of the game. Oh <laughs> so, man, yeah. It was uh, it was a good good game. Miami was ranked ninth, Virginia Tech eleventh, and just straight yeah. up dominated them. Game was never really in doubt. And uh, Ryan Williams was the guy who had a huge day on the ground. One yeah. two scores. So I guess that leaves me. And the good thing is, I picked a game that uh, you didn't, Justin, which is surprising. But for me, it was 2011, which we've already talked about. Um, That's iconic for me just because of how amped Lane Stadium was at the end of that game. Uh, Logan Thomas, read option on a keeper up the middle for about 20 yards, puts Virginia Tech up. um, You know, and and while Miami is driving, Lane Stadium is going crazy. There's a timeout before the final play. Inner Sandman plays before and during the timeout. After the game ends, uh, Inner Sandman continues to play as we celebrate. And that's just, man, that was powerful. That was so awesome. Yeah, that game was incredible. That game was incredible. It was uh, probably the last really I was going to say, speaking of quarterbacks who coaches broke, Logan Thomas. That prime example of, you know, a Khalil Tate – uh, type of player there who just I mean, was awesome and completely regressed under supposedly uh, good coaching. I guess I maybe I'm uh, he is to me what Nicosi Perry is to you because I never saw it for him. Um, I mean he was gigantic. He was he was six seven two hundred ninety five pounds <laughs> but could run and throw the ball a mile. Yeah, but yeah, he's I just, huge. I never saw it for Logan Thomas, but I mean yeah, he had himself a couple few really big days against the University of Miami. So yeah. yeah. I don't know. He did, and, you know, it was sad. Logan uh, seemingly had all the potential in the world and in one offseason uh, got completely destroyed by the Virginia Tech coaching staff. So, um, yeah, you know, you win some, you lose some. But, yeah, Miami-Virginia Tech, uh, an all-time classic series in, in college football in my mind. All right, so I think that wraps up the uh, conversation for today. Cam, thanks thanks again for uh, for coming on and – for those listening, State of the U blog, if you are a Miami fan or interested in anything that's going on in the program, be sure to check it out. State of the U, SB Nation, 
uh, at state at the state of the yeah, U on Twitter. The is that what it is? on Twitter. My personal account is at Underwood Sports on Facebook.com slash the state of the U, state of the U.com. Um, and I think it's the state of the U on Instagram as well. We're trying to get that going uh, as well. So, you know, all kinds of different places. Um, we try to cover Miami sports in a 360 degree kind of way. Uh, fans of everywhere are, you know, welcome in. Obviously, we play Virginia Tech every year. So we, you know, lead up to that game with lots of coverage. So you guys are welcome to come over there with us and, uh, you know, be fans. Let's go. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you, Cam. We appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, guys. All right, Tim. So after talking to Cam, uh, what were your uh, what were your big takeaways? Kind of, I guess, what I expected to hear in, a, in some regards to Miami, uh, as far as their issues they had last year, the offensive line, the offensive struggles. I mean, we know what Miami's bringing back from a defensive standpoint is just absurd. Um, but kind of interesting to get a peek into some situations that we aren't intimate with on a daily basis, like uh, Mark Richt and trying to draw parallels between what happened with him at Miami and, and kind of similar things that happened to him at Georgia. Um, and then I think the thing that really stood out to me too is I didn't really consider Nikosi Perry uh, really a, a candidate for the starting quarterback job, um, realistically. Uh, you know, but Cam feels differently, and it, it'll be interesting to see what Enos is able to accomplish uh, with the stable of quarterbacks he's got because there's talent there. Um, I don't think there's any questioning that. Yeah, yeah, no, it was good. It's always good to get insight. Uh, very knowledgeable on the uh, on the situation on the program. Um, you know, obviously wrong about what's going to happen in the Virginia Tech matchup. But, of course. You know, I'll, I'll give him that. Sure. You know, just blinded by bias, but – yeah, you know, that's our show for today. As mentioned earlier, we are Chowder and Grits, uh, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, or Stitcher. Visit ChowderandGrits.com and like us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook. And Tim, why don't you tell these fine people what else they can do? Tell your friends about the podcast. Set your podcast to automatic download. Every download helps, and we love it. Leave us five-star reviews. Four stars are okay. Five stars are better. Tell everybody what you like about us in that uh, five-star review or four-star review. Uh, Leave as many as you can on any platform that you find us on. Um, Any uh, word of mouth certainly helps, too. So spread the word, Twitter, Facebook. We appreciate any love that we can get. Um, and yeah, big thanks to Cam for what he did with us today as far as going over Miami. Um, but yeah, we keep on trucking, man. We're knocking these podcasts out back to back and it's feeling pretty good. Absolutely. This was episode number 25, episode number 26 coming to you next week. We are talking Virginia Tech Hokies and, uh, soon after that, we'll be talking about the Florida State Seminoles. So be sure to tune in and we will talk to you guys later.